The situation looking really dire for uh, for so many in that part of the world. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict and war um, still continues to rage on. Um, and now what we're seeing uh, some people in Gaza uh, being essentially held hostage in what's looking like a really, really dire situation. Experts saying that this siege on Gaza is going to affect access to food, to water, electricity, medical supplies, sewage treatment, which ultimately could then lead to sickness and disease for 2.3 million residents. Uh, So to talk a little bit more about the humanitarian side of this conflict, uh, we're checking in with our guest who's an associate professor in the Faculty of Law at Western University and a former United Nations Special Rapporteur for the Situation of Human Rights and the Palestinian Territory, Michael Link. Michael, thanks so much for making the time. I really appreciate getting your perspective on this. My pleasure, Chelsea. Thank you very much for asking me. I think it's such a, it's something that's so important to really clarify because there's a lot of information that's been coming out like a tidal wave, a lot of really shocking images that people have seen online and still a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about what exactly is really taking place and what's happened. So, Michael, the civilians that are in Gaza faced with really unimaginable circumstances, can you help just paint a picture of what it is that they're dealing with, with and what they've been dealing with for the last couple of days? Okay, maybe I can start by saying what's happened for the last 15 years. Of course, yeah. Since since 2007, Israel has imposed a complete land, sea, and air blockade on Gaza. Uh, There are 2.3 million people living in Gaza today. Um, Almost 50% of them are under the age of 18. Um, uh, No one can leave Gaza without Israeli permission or enter Gaza with Israeli permission. There is no other comparable situation in the world today where you have a substantial number of people fenced in on able to be able to exercise even the basic right of freedom of, uh, of movement. Um, much of what supplies Gaza is has to be shipped in through uh, control areas um, or passage areas controlled by, by Israel. So there's been a, if you like, a comprehensive blockade with a set amount of goods and services being able to enter into Gaza. What this has meant is that leading up to this week, Gaza has a record high unemployment rate of between 45 and 50 percent, which is, uh, according to the World Bank, the highest uh, unemployment rate in any unit, economic unit that it looks at. It has a collapsing economy. Uh, it has uh, a dire healthcare uh, situation, um, which has now obviously been made much worse with the bombardment that's going on this week. It has uh, limited uh, access to potable water uh, before um, the uh, the events of this weekend, uh, which means that it's heavily dependent upon a desalination plant to have some of its water supply uh, met. That wa- that salination plant, as well as its sanitation plants, which treat raw sewage, are, and and its power plant, all are dependent upon fuel coming into Gaza. What has happened in the last four days is that now there's been a complete siege and stoppage of anything going into Gaza, which means that uh, um, they're they're short of water. Uh, Power, which was for a couple of days down from 13 hours a day down to four hours a day, Gaza's now completely in the dark. Um, One of the gravest situations now has to do with uh, food uh, supply. Um, with no electricity, obviously, you, you don't have refrigeration. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the inability of 
chicken farmers and uh, and those who uh, look after livestock and being able to bring their eggs, their chickens, their um, their meat into any sort of market for people to be able to uh, to shop. There's no food coming into uh, to Gaza. There looks like the farmers who uh, who have to run tomato plantations or strawberry or berry plantations may well lose their year's crop uh, because they have no access to be able to get there. It's in open fields, which is now subject to uh, bombardment and what may likely happen is a uh, Israeli military invasion. So two and a half years ago, the uh, Antonio Guterres, the uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, had said at the last round of hostilities between Hamas and Gaza. He said, if there's a hell on earth, it has to be the lives of children in Gaza. We already know that there's a death toll of over 100 children uh, in the last several days. And if we're gearing for a long assault on Gaza, the civilian deaths, which is already approaching 1,000 in Gaza, will rise exponentially, and this will be primarily civilians. So in that, in a very short uh, nutshell, I think is what's happening right now. I think you help really, really paint a picture of what exactly has been going on. But I'm curious, you know, the situation that you're describing, does that not violate international humanitarian laws? Are we not talking about a situation that could be deemed a war crime here? Yes, it does. Now, I want to start by saying what happened on Saturday with the massacre of uh, of uh, over a thousand uh, Israeli civilians and the, and the shooting of rockets into civilian areas uh, is most definitely a war crime committed by Hamas. Um, but both sides, I'm afraid, have blood on their hands and are in violation of international law. The um, uh, I had written a, one of my reports, a special rapporteur, several years ago, which said that the situation at that time with uh, with the blockade of Gaza amounted to collective punishment under the Fourth Geneva Convention, which governs the laws of war and the laws of occupation. And certainly this absolute siege now that's occurring violates international law. You're not allowed to subject a civilian population under a siege during a military conflict to starvation or to the deprivation of the necessities of life. That is absolutely forbidden. And I think virtually every box is being checked with respect to how it's being violated through the uh, through the cutting off of water, power, uh, health supplies for the hospitals, and certainly uh, with respect to access to food as well. So, can humanitarian organizations then then find a way to get in and and to help and provide some sort of resources for these people? I mean, obviously, a lot of people are going to suffer until that can happen. But is that an option? There is talk now of trying to create a humanitarian um, corridor into Gaza. Um, whether that can happen in the midst, uh, we don't know yet as what's going to happen. We do know there's bombardment. We do know that there is massing of, uh, of battalions of the Israeli military on borders of Gaza. It, um, we don't know yet what uh, Israel plans. Uh, but if it does decide to go for a either a limited or a massive military invasion of, uh, of Gaza, um, there will be uh, a humanitarian corridor will likely be unable uh, to provide the kind of water and food and humanitarian supplies that a large civilian population will wind up requiring. So we're on the, we already, up until before Saturday, we had a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. The UN had said 
uh, in a report around 2015 that uh, by 2020, Gaza will be unlivable, and nothing has improved in that situation. What we see now is a transformation of a humanitarian crisis going into a humanitarian catastrophe. So just set the table a little bit for, for our listeners, Michael. Then the purpose of sieging Gaza to this extent is what exactly? Well, it's, you know, for the Israeli military, it's to presumably want to decapitate uh, uh, the Hamas leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, there we've been through uh, a number of wars, 2008-09 in Gaza, 2012, a major one in 2014. Um, we had a, we had then smaller uh, but still tragic um, uh, conflicts in 2018 and 2021. If we look back to 2014, uh, which uh, the where the assault on Gaza lasted for 50 days, we wound up with 2,300 Palestinian dead, including over 1,500 uh, civilians, over several hundred uh, children uh, involved in the. Most recent catastrophe in in 2000, one of the most recent ones in 2021, uh, the New York Times put on, uh, which I thought was was bold of them, uh, put on its front page a picture of, I believe, about approximately 70 children who had died in the conflict, 69 of whom were Palestinian, and I believe one uh, was uh, was Israeli. That gives you some of the, I guess, the human uh, faces uh, that have wound up suffering with respect to this. So in this military conflict, Israel, I think its its strategic goal is to try to decapitate um, the Hamas leadership. And that can only happen with a very long uh, siege and invasion of Gaza. And then the question, what happens after that? Mm-hmm. Um, the Palestinian Authority, which is, uh, which is who rules in small parts of the West Bank, would not want to be seen as the coming into Gaza to rule it uh, in the aftermath of an Israeli invasion on the back of Israeli bayonets. Um, this will become a huge political and humanitarian issue for the international community, who in the past has always come in to pick up the pieces and try to find the funding for the reconstruction of Gaza each time that there's been massive bombardment of buildings and the massive loss of life. So. If we can compare it to 2014, that occurred after three young um, Israeli teenagers were murdered by Hamas operatives in the West Bank. Um, And then rockets were fired, and then Israel launched a full-scale assault. Given the degree to which Israeli blood is boiling now in the aftermath of the slaughter that took place on Saturday... Um, my my instinct is to say this is going to happen. This is going to take place for a much longer period of time, mm-hmm. and part of it will depend upon what the stomach is uh, among the Israeli public for the number of dead Israeli soldiers that will wind up occurring. Because a massive invasion into a crowded, populated, for them, hostile uh, urban area uh, will likely only mean uh, massive. Um, deaths, militarily deaths, on both Hamas, the side of Hamas and the side of Israel. Michael, just really quickly emphasize for us once again, who is in Gaza? Who are these civilians? You said that 50% of them are under the age of 18? Sure. There's 2.3 million Palestinian Palestinians who live in Gaza. Um, probably 70% of them, between 67 and 70% of them, are either Palestinian refugees or the descendants of Palestinian refugees 
who've been living there since 1948, who were either fled or were expelled by Israel from their homes in what is now southern Israel. Um, the United Nations have, has had a long uh, and very prominent presence in Gaza uh, by educating and feeding and providing services to much of the population that winds up uh, living there. Um, in Hamas was actually created probably in the 1980s as a reaction to the Palestinian Liber- Palestine Liberation Organization. Uh, Hamas is um, got strong religious political beliefs, um, and that they've been uncompromising in their attitude towards uh, towards Israel. Um, but they have said at various points they would they would live with a 50 year uh, yeah, ceasefire. Uh, with Israel, but this has never uh, this has never occurred. And if I can just say in my closing words, there is no military solution uh, to either what's happening now or to resolving the issue between Palestinians and Israelis. Um, if um, you know, if we don't rely on international law and on UN resolutions and our own innate sense of morality that I think we've lost as an international community, our moral compass, which is the only sure way, I think, out of this very dark place that's now occurring in Israel and Palestine. Michael, fantastic insight. Thank you so much for making the time this afternoon. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Chelsea, anytime. Of course, take care. Uh, That's Michael Link, uh, Associate Professor in the Faculty of Law at Western University, uh, former United Nations Special Rapporteur for the Situation of Human Rights and the Palestinian Territory.